For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Two former Rockland, Maine police officers are headed to the Pokey for night hunting and animal cruelty charges. The former officers, Cox and Rollerson, got pinned by killing a combined 11 porcupines while on duty, in uniform, with their retractable batons, pepper spray was also used. According to the Courier-Gazette, a rash of home break-ins occurred in the area over the same time as the porcupine killing. So for those of you wondering why the response time was a little slow, your officers may have been stuck somewhere. As a result of their actions, the former officers, Cox and Rollerson, have been sentenced to 90 days in jail with all but 17 suspended plus community service and 270 days in jail with all but 27 days suspended, respectively. Officer Cox had previously been commended, according to the Courier-Gazette, In 2017, he was hailed the hero of wild animals. The officer helped return a baby raccoon to the woods and helped a skunk that had gotten its head stuck in a peanut butter jar. Perhaps with porcupines, the unofficial name of Quill Pig set these former officers off. I'm sensitive. Both officers are Marine veterans whose attorneys argued that the acts of killing the porcupines were related to post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't have much else to comment on here, other than, in the middle of winter, in the big Maine woods, life is pretty sparse. If you get in a survival situation, a porcupine is a great meal and one you can obtain with a stick, which is why you should leave them alone for the hard times, whenever possible. Every woodsman knows that. This week, 
We've got fire, fungus, and Newsome. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was packed as per usual. Went out to this man-made lake and tried to dive and spearfish, but the water clarity was terrible. All I caught was a double-barrel set of infected ears. The side effect of infected ears is I get really deaf. Most of the time, I'm just a little hard of hearing. Certain pitches or tones, you know, but let me tell you, Monday and Tuesday, I was deaf-deaf, which made the trip to Immigrant Montana for a Coulter Wall concert kind of good and bad. Coulter Wall was loud, plus he's got that iconic deep voice, which apparently is right in my hearing range, so I could hear him, but not that much else. Go see that guy if you get the chance. Just a quick side note for you. I had been using this oil extract-based eardrop stuff, and I think the oil actually collected more dirt, so my ears were super nasty, super infected. I pulled some really nasty stuff out of them. You know, that gag reflex you get when you dig kind of against your eardrum, and then when you pull a Q-tip out and see what's on the end of it, you kind of gag again. That's what I'm referring to. Slimy and satisfying. Then I went to urgent care and told those folks my troubles. They took what looks like a uh, standard kitchen cleaner bottle with the pump handle, you know? Imagine like a Windex bottle. Instead of the spray nozzle, there's a hose that ends in a fine tip that snakes into your ear canal. The bottle is only filled with warm water. They put a little tray with a divot cut out of it so your ear fits into it and start pumping, essentially pressure washing your eardrum and ear canal out. To my surprise, they got a bunch more stuff out of there and confirmed that yes, my ears are infected and, as an added bonus, told me I was not a failure as an adult, not a total slob. In fact, plugged up ears make the top five as far as urgent care visits go, which, at least for me, was exactly what I wanted to hear, which I mostly could due to the cleaning. I lost. Earwax. The fishing report out there, aside from the spearfishing, we observed a walleye tournament that was taking place. Lots of sponsorships, big glass boats, big engines, all the electronics. We're talking, you know, I don't even know, sixty dollars to $100,000 plus setups. Lots of nervous pacing around boats, especially towards the end of the day. Not a lot of uh, talking, laughing. You could tell there was real tension. The winners of this tournament turned in a super impressive catch. A couple of fish over 30 inches. I think they averaged a little over six pounds per fish for two days. Two person limits, you know. But on the opposite side of things, I saw this fella, we're going to call him Captain Cody, who was in an eight foot aluminum boat powered only by an electric trolling motor. His seat was a cooler, which he was in too frequently, and he had a rod next to each foot. Seldom was there not a fish on at least one of those rods. He hailed us in with, getting into a heck of a perch bite. He proceeded to show us exactly what he was using and how he was producing the steady stream of not just perch, but walleye. Before we left the lake that night, we got to watch Captain Cody land a very large 29-inch walleye, his biggest ever, and a huge, enviable walleye anywhere a walleye fisherman goes to catch big walleye. I am as jealous of the big boats and all the stuff as I was of the simplicity and happiness of Captain Cody. Just an observation for you. Moving on. 
Drought conditions and fires spreading across the West have forced the closure of large areas of publicly accessible land, and the restrictions could last into this fall's hunting season. The Lick Creek, Green Ridge, and Elbow Creek fires spreading in Washington and Oregon have forced the U.S. Forest Service to close the entire Umatilla National Forest for the first time in its history. The Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife has also closed the W.T. Wooten unit of the W.T. Wooten Wildlife Area, the 4.0 Ranch and Grouse Flats units of the Chief Joseph Wildlife Area, and the Asotan Creek and Weatherly units of the Asotan Creek Wildlife Area. The three companies that make up the North Idaho Timber Group are temporarily closing their private land, which hunters have been able to access through the Large Tracks program brokered by the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. If there's no significant rainfall soon, these closures could run into hunting season. In Washington, early archery deer season opens September 1 in most units, and archery elk seasons open on September 11. The drought continues to affect fishing across the region. Wyoming Game and Fish is recommending that all trout anglers carry a pocket thermometer and stop fishing when waters reach 70 degrees. A 120-mile stretch of the Colorado River from Kremlin to Rifle was closed in early July due to reduced flow and rising temperatures, although several areas were reopened after reservoir releases upstream caused attempts to drop. More closures could still come. Last year's fires, the fires of 2020, also disrupted the root structure of plants holding the soil together in many places, so even when Colorado has had much-needed rain, Mudslides and flash floods from these burn scars are depositing sediment into the streams, which makes the water murkier, adding another challenge to the fish. By the time you hear this, conditions will no doubt have changed, so keep an eye on the website of your state's Fish and Wildlife Agency, as well as the BLM and National Forest Service websites. I know this drought roundup is a little more grim than the last one. We're hoping things change. Pray for rain, folks. If you want to take your mind off this stuff and put it in a uh, real situation, go download our new audiobook, Meat Eater Campfire Tales, Close Calls. You will thank me. It's getting rave reviews. It is an absolute pleasure to listen to. If you just like the idea of the woods, you'll love it. If you are actually out in the woods all the time, there's going to be some things that really kick your memory banks into gear, I promise you. A couple of pieces of good news from the Governmental Affairs Desk. First up, from Maine, Governor Janet Mills recently signed the new Maine State Budget, which includes $40 million for the Land for Maine's Future program. Created in 1987, the LMF is the state's wallet for buying land and paying for easements so that Mainers and visitors can have a place to hunt, fish, and recreate. This is an especially big deal in a state where over 90% of the land is in private hands. The Maine.gov website has a fantastic interactive map that lets you enter your location and desired activity, then find areas close by accessible through the LMF. By punching in moose hunting, I found the Salmon Brook Lake Bog near Purim which is 1,706 acres of very rare wetlands, lakes, brooks, and a northern white cedar bog. By typing in trapping, I found the Kennebec Highlands near Vienna, where a network of five undeveloped ponds provides excellent beaver habitat. 
And if you want to do some clamming, you can search by that specific activity and head over to the Schofield Shores Preserve near Brunswick, where 19 acres has been set aside for you to try your luck collecting some tasty bivalves. This website's basically doing everything other than digging them for you. On top of all that, you can even type in gold panning, but I'll leave you to find that spot on your own. What I said there in that whole diatribe is just sacrilegious. However, I feel okay sharing it with you because you just type that in and that's what pops up. This program, this LMF program, as well as the search engine that the state of Maine has provided is quite similar to what we talked about last week in the Map Land Act. Cruise around on Maine's website and you can see what we're talking about. Don't forget to call your duly elected and tell them to vote for the Map Land Act. The $40 million allocated in the 2021 budget can be spent in $10 million increments over the next four years. So keep an eye on the LMF website for new areas to get out into. If you're a Mainer, call your state reps and Governor Mills and tell them you're happy with this recent development. And if you're from somewhere else but planning to visit vacation land in the future, make doubly sure to call up and express your appreciation. Let them know that those budget dollars were well spent bringing your recreation dollars into the state. Moving on over to California, where Governor Newsom has signed a budget that includes $61.5 million to build wildlife crossings throughout the state. You may be surprised to learn that eco-conscious California has lagged well behind other states when it comes to building these crossings. In fact, the state's highway system currently has exactly zero overpass bridges designed specifically for connecting wildlife populations, so this funding is well overdue. As we covered before, these crossings make fiscal sense based purely on the traffic accidents they prevent. According to a UC Davis study, car collisions with animals on California highways cost more than $250 million a year. States all over the Union have seen dramatic reductions in collisions when they build wildlife crossings. In Utah, one notorious section of highway in the southwestern part of the state had a 98.5% reduction in deer mortality once two migration underpasses were built. In Colorado, two wildlife bridges reduced collisions by 89% on State Highway 9 in Grand County. The few animal underpasses in California have been similarly effective. One tunnel under Highway 50 in the Sierra Nevada foothills near Placerville cost just $1.3 million to build a few years ago. According to Fraser Schilling, co-director of the Road Ecology Center at UC Davis, the tunnel has already more than paid for itself by reducing deer collisions. These migration paths are also critical in improving the genetic diversity of isolated wildlife populations. The mountain lions of the Santa Ana and Santa Monica Mountains of California, which we've talked about many times on this podcast, are in a tough spot. And I'm not just talking about, like, having to live that close to L.A. Get back on San Vicente, take it to the 10, then switch over to the 405 North and let it dump you out into Mulholland where you belong. These mountain lions are starting to exhibit the telltale, crooked tail of inbred populations. This inbreeding makes extinction almost certain unless these lions can mix with other genetically distinct groups. Lions in Florida, threatened by the same problem, expanded their population from a few dozen individuals to more than 200 after just eight genetically distinct females were introduced and the state built wildlife corridors. 
the proposed Liberty Canyon Wildlife Crossing near Los Angeles could provide the same kind of mixing for California's lions. I have many bones to pick with Governor Newsom when it comes to mountain lions. His father was one of the advocates for banning lion hunting in the state, and last year, in an interview with the Sacramento Bee, Newsom related his fond childhood memories of licking envelopes to send letters promoting the ban. There may be a connection between the envelope adhesive and what we see from the governor today. We are all old enough to remember that Seinfeld episode, right? We found traces of a certain toxic adhesive commonly found in very low-priced envelopes. Well, she was sending out our wedding invitations. That's probably what did it. We were expecting about 200 people. (laughs) But I don't have to agree with everything a person does to applaud a good decision. Although the wildlife crossings will take several years to build, California is on the right track. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it, you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. The latest entry in the meatless meat race has an origin that's cooler than most. 
the fungus that grows around springs at Yellowstone National Park. I should say an origin that is hotter than most, as this particular fungus is an extremophile, one of those microorganisms that thrives in conditions that would kill the rest of us. The extremophile in question, Fusarium strain Flavolapis, does just fine at temperatures of 176 degrees Fahrenheit and above. If you're feeling self-conscious, here's something to contemplate. If these fungi are extreme, what does that make us? Lukewarmophiles? Wimpophiles? Something? Not exactly. The concept of extreme in this situation is defined as anything uncomfortable to humans. If that notion isn't extremely self-centered, I don't know what is. To round out that answer, if you are not an extremophile, you could be a neutrophile or a mesophile. A neutrophile is an organism that needs a perfect pH balance, a system not too acidic or basic. A mesophile, if you remember the children's book about, you know, like mama bear and papa bear and baby bear, and the not too hot, not too cold porridge line, that, that deal, right? That is a great way to describe mesophile. Moderate temps, not too hot, not too cold. Anyway, the company growing this fungus and marketing it as food, called Nature's Find, F-Y-N-D, asserts that Fusarium flavolapis is a more complete protein than other not-meats out there. The company claims that while having a negligible environmental impact, the fungus has 50% more protein than tofu, is more bioavailable than other plant-based proteins, meaning it is actually absorbed into your body as opposed to just uh, passing through it, and contains nutrients like vitamin B12, which is very difficult to come by on a vegan diet. The company has so far raised $158 million from an investment fund backed by Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, as well as from NASA, who hopes that future missions will be able to grow this mycoprotein, quote, myco, from the ancient Greek word for fungus, in space. The company expects to ship sausage-ish patties and cream-ish cheese later this year. The scientists who founded Nature's Find named this particular strain of Fusarium, Flavolapis, because it was discovered in Yellowstone. Flavo means yellow in Latin, and lapis means stone. Connecting your product to the beloved national park is good marketing. However, other strains of Fusarium have a less appealing history. You may have heard that after modern humans discovered the ancient cave paintings in Lasso, France, the water vapor from their breath caused fungus to grow on the walls of the cave, threatening those paintings. That strain of fungus is Fusarium solani, and people still haven't figured out how to remove it from the paintings permanently. Several different pathogenic strains of Fusarium have spread to crops and wildlife for much of the human history, causing enormous destruction. In fact, in 2013, a paper in the journal Fungal Genetic Biology was produced. Scientists from the USDA summarized, Fusarium species rank among the most economically destructive plant pathogens and mycotoxigenic fungi posing a threat to plant and animal health and food safety. Now, I'm not condemning all Fusarium fungus out of hand. That would be like throwing out morels and portobellos because death cap mushrooms are no good to eat. But maybe we should exercise some caution in the rush to find a new miracle protein. After all, Fusarium-based human food is not actually that new. The first mycoprotein was developed in the early 80s and has been marketed since 1985 by a company called Corn spelled Q-U-O-R-N. The corn protein is Fusarium venenatum, 
And although lots of people eat it with no side effects, the company has been plagued by lawsuits from people who have had severe allergic reactions. So, if you're allergic to fungi, steer clear of nature's find. Otherwise, it could be an interesting alternative. But, in my opinion, it would be very cool if the fungus were presented in its native Yellowstone colors. Instead of drab sausage brown, maybe we could get some burgers and fuchsia or turquoise or fluorescent yellow. Pretty patties, available in six designer colors. Sign me up for one of those, because in my mind, it's more honest than making a super cool fungus into something sausage-like or cheese-like. If you're proud of this product, make it its own thing. Don't make me have to find it in the fine print in the grocery store. I will happily purchase fungus over a cream cheese-like fungus any day. Moving on. It's hunting season, at least hunting prep season, so I thought I would wrap us up with a listener email. Remember, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themediator.com, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Some folks from Indiana write in. Well, Cal, I need help. Me and a buddy are going to plan a western hunt. We're from Indiana and have no clue where to start. We are thinking muzzleloader elk hunt. We are new to hunting, so we have no points. Both of us are in our 30s, so accumulating enough points for a good area is pretty much out. We need over-the-counter public land tags for a do-it-yourself hunt. We have no idea what is necessary. Gear, transportation, what state's best. Utah and New Mexico seem to have good muzzleloader seasons. Can you help? Ah, boys, where to start? Utah, New Mexico, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana all have good options for the first time do-it-yourself elk hunter. I would suggest being open to any sex, bull, cow, spike, where legal. For those of you new-new to elk, a spike bull is a bull of the year, typically a non-sexually mature male that has a spike antler that does not branch within the first, let's say, five inches. No brow tine. There are exceptions to that, of course. The more elk you see, the more exceptions you see. Anyway, in many units here in Montana, bull elk need to have brow tine in order to be legally harvested. Brow tine being the first or second tine that will typically protrude outward over the brow of the bull. I would not limit myself to just the old smoke pole, as there are plenty of cow elk hunts open to modern centerfire rifle, and if you so choose, you can always hunt with your black powder gun during a centerfire season anyway. A buddy of mine in Idaho hunts with his 50 cal Kentucky long rifle during the general firearm cow hunts he draws. I've seen it, it can be done, it's quite common. Now is 30 years old too old to put in for points? No, not really. Especially if you want to use those points for opportunity hunts versus the quote, trophy hunts. A lot of these over-the-counter tags, especially for non-residents, are starting to get gobbled up so fast. If you're not really on your game, you're not going to get one without applying for more than one season anyway. I do hear you on the incredibly depressing combination of statistics and hunting. How some snot-nosed kid whose ma and pa have been buying points for him, we don't even know if they'll ever hunt, they haven't even had a weapon in their hands, that kid probably has a better chance of drawing a tag than you, a tax-paying adult with no points. It drives me crazy. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Anyway, you're going to be forking over some cash on applications. So do your homework right now. Start calling state wildlife management agencies. Lay out your scenario. If you don't have a four-wheel drive vehicle, 
Are you comfortable camping or not comfortable camping? Are you physically impaired in some way? Are you scared of grizzly bears? All of those things. There are opportunities out there that fit your circumstances better than others, but you need to burn your boot leather on research first. I have hunted parts of many of the states I listed before where the sight of myself in like my full get up with a big backpack and trekking poles and pants that weren't blue jeans was enough to stop traffic and draw questions of what the hell are you doing? Because people had selected those particular units for the road access and the likelihood of finding a cow elk within sight of the road after work, you know? Hunting forums like Randy Newberg's Hunt Talk or Rock Slide can provide great information as well. I am not holding out on you. I don't have some like hot spot I'm not telling you about. Regulations change all the time. New opportunities pop up. Start making calls and planning. Your planning should involve some consistent walking, by the way. Try to get at least a few miles in every day. Even if you don't get that tag, you're going to be better off for it. After all that, we can talk gear. Hope everybody's looking forward to the season. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you're getting ready for the season, check out www.steeldealers.com for any of your cutting, lopping, shearing, or even, you know, make the home place look good before you head into the hills needs. You can even prevent a frustrating day of a tree block in a forest service road by getting a nice, quiet, clean, powerful, battery-operated chainsaw that fits right underneath the seat. You won't know it's there until you need it. And as per usual, let me know what I'm getting right, what I'm getting wrong, and what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's AskCal at TheMeteor.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.